welcome to the first of our little sequence of podcasts on the, well, I, for the purposes of this, I call it the English Revolution, but there's a number of different names for it, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I always, when I studied it, it was the English Civil War. Yeah. Because that's a very English-centric way then, of looking at it. Of course, it becomes called the English Civil Wars. Yep. Because there's more than one. Of course, yeah. And the current fashion is to call it the Wars of the Three Kingdoms. Yes. Because it does actually involve... Yeah, the Scots. Yeah. And the Irish. And the Irish, as we'll see. I think there's there's a number of factors at play with this, um, with this topic. But I, I think we have to agree that there's a certain element of the individual here. Although I'm not hugely a great fan of the great man theory of history... A lot of this does hinge on the character and behaviour of one person, doesn't it? Yes, on the king himself. Yeah. Um, because he was brought up very much with the idea of the divine right of kings. Yeah. Um, and of course, this isn't, a, this isn't a new idea. This is something no. <laughs> that, he's, that he's inherited from his father. And it, and it goes back as a tradition. We were talking about how you can trace it back, really, to with the um, changes that Henry VIII makes mm. when he makes himself the head of the Church of England as well, and you have all this power concentrated in one man. And yeah. King Charles is very much of the opinion that he is appointed by God, therefore everything should be done exactly as he wants it to be done. I think it's fair to say that he looks across the channel mm. um, quite enviously towards the Sun Kings of France, yeah. and he remakes, when he comes to the throne, he remakes his court on the French pattern. He physically removes himself away from London and away from the hurly-burly of everybody else. People aren't just allowed to pop in and see them. Uh, James's court was actually always quite informal. His mm. father's court, people were able to walk in and talk. And Charles doesn't want that. He, he sees himself as very yeah. separate. One other thing he picks up from his father, from James uh, I of England, who's also James VI of Scotland, is he sees his father's struggle with Parliament, doesn't he? Yeah. Throughout the whole of that reign. And he, he loathes Parliament, I think, is fair to say. Yeah. Parliament, is, from Charles's point of view, Parliament should not be the ultimate authority in England. And, and you see that later on after the Civil War with his trial yeah. and so on, on whose authority are you sat there. Yeah. But yeah, for parliamentarians, though, they view themselves as the rightful, maybe not rulers, but certainly in terms of the law. Yeah taxation and all that kind of yeah. stuff they should be the ones who have the ultimate say because That's they're right. the ones who pay for it yeah. and put it into practice and I suppose the first the first sign of what's to come is Buckingham is Charles appointing the Duke of Buckingham as his closest advisor actually if you want to get technical about it the first ever Prime Minister of England and Scotland and Parliament hate him because again Buckingham, rather than this first among equals idea, is making a lot of decisions on behalf of the king. He's acting as a gatekeeper to the king. You can't go and see the king unless you go past Buckingham. Yeah. And that really upsets Parliament. They then argue about this with the king, and the king responds by simply dissolving, dissolving Parliament. Yeah, because they, they want to impeach Buckingham. Yeah. They want to arrest him and imprison him. Buckingham's relationship with Parliament goes back beyond Charles as well like he'd been there mm. under Charles's father as well in, um, in some form and so there's a long tradition of this rivalry between Buckingham and Parliament yeah. And, yeah and as you say 
when Parliament demand that Buckingham, Buckingham is imprisoned, Charles simply dissolves it, and then that's when you enter the personal rule of Charles. Or, as Parliament would say, the, the 11 years tyranny. Just a matter of interest, uh, whose side are you on in this? Are you, are you, at this stage, are you for the King or are you for Parliament? Uh, that's a difficult question. Um, I mean, I'll ask the question again at the yeah. end, because the question of are you a roundhead or are you a cavalier mm. is an interesting one, mm. I think. I've always been drawn to the cavaliers for some reason. I don't know why. Wrong but romantic, yeah. that's why. Yeah, and I've also I've had this thing for the underdog as well. Because yeah. I know the outcome. But <laughs> but at this point, yeah. what do you think? At this point, are you for the king or are you for parliament? I think at this point, I probably would have been for the king, mm. personally. They're jumped up, they're getting... Yeah, who the, are they? Yeah. This is the king. Yeah. He is appointed by God. He is the rightful ruler. See, so I'd be wind your neck in your yeah. puffed up ponce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now... Obviously, it's all well and good as the king saying, let's cancel Parliament. Mm -hmm. But that does present you with a bit of a problem. Yeah, money. Yeah, because the only way you can get taxes, legitimately, is by having them voted for you by Parliament. And now you've got rid of Parliament, where do you get your money from? So, the first thing that Charles does is he, he, he borrows money. Mm -hmm. He um, borrows a lot of money, in fact, <laughs> from his friends. Um, but that doesn't last. And so um, the most infamous of all of his ways of raising money is the ship tax. Mm. It makes sense. The ship tax is actually quite sensible. And it's, it's sensible that the king should be able to levy it as and when he sees fit. Yeah. Because the idea of the ship tax is that it's put on coastal communities to pay for the ships that are needed to protect those coastal communities. And it seems sensible to me that the king's able to say, yeah, we're having problems with pirates, the Barbary pirates, or we're having problems with French raids, so, yeah, I need more ships. Yes, but then Charles makes the mistake mm -hmm. of getting too greedy, and he levies ship money throughout the country, so inland counties are asked to pay as well. And, of course, this is where the problem comes from, because many of them refuse to pay, yeah. and they're sent to prison. A perfect example of that is uh, John Hampton, the MP. Yes who's uh, convicted of refusing to pay. And that, I think that's an interesting one because that highlights, I think, one of the problems with Charles, which is he's a bit thick. Yeah. He's, he's politically, he's dim. Yeah. Because by putting the MP on trial, he actually publicises the fact mm. that people are opposed to shit yeah. money and he, he actually whips up more opposition yeah. to it than if he'd just gone, all right, you're not going to pay it, I'll ignore you. Well, it becomes a test case. Mm -hmm. right? So he is fined 20 shillings, found guilty, but he's only found guilty by seven judges to five, mm -hmm. which shows that there is support yeah. for these rebel MPs. Yeah. And it just encourages more and more people to refuse to pay up. Yeah. And Hamden becomes a bit of a hero figure for opposing Charles in the first place. Yeah. All right, so while we're on the subject of Charles being a bit dim, mm -hmm. let's talk about religion. Yes. Because his, his, his father, James, was very, very successful at managing to keep a lid on... Because this, this goes back to 1536, break with Rome, mm -hmm. and then that massive pendulum swing throughout the rest of the 1500s. Yeah. And even, even if you consider the fact that you've got Guy Fawkes and a bunch of Catholics trying to kill... King James, he still does manage to keep a lid 
on yeah, it. He does, yeah. And he doesn't do anything incredibly stupid like, I don't know, marrying a Catholic. No, which is exactly what Charles does. Yeah. But and that's then, just the, the icing, isn't it? That's yeah. the topping of the cake yeah, because yeah. there's so many other layers below this. Yeah. Henrietta Maria, she's unpopular. She's a Catholic princess. Yeah. She's French as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. So that makes her even more unpopular. Yeah. Um, but Charles himself, because of his choice of Archbishop, oh. Archbishop Lord, um, he becomes associated with Lord's reforms to the church. It's, it's, it's worth just pinning down here what's going on. The country is Protestant. The country has been forced to become Protestant over a long, bloody period of time. Yeah. And people are used to seeing plots and conspiracies of Catholics attempting to take over the country everywhere. Yeah, and um, there's, a, there's a massive anti-Catholic feeling. Yeah, huge, huge. Throughout the whole of England. So the king has now married a Catholic, but worse than that, he's opened a Catholic chapel for her, and he's allowing Catholic priests into the country to give her Holy Communion, which has not been allowed since... Wow, well into Elizabeth, right? Yeah. That's been on pain of death, Catholic yeah. priests coming here. So he then appoints this archbishop, uh, Lord, who's an Arminian. Yeah, the high church. Yeah, this strange sect of Protestantism who, if, if you imagine, it's like a continuum, isn't it? Between very Protestant, ultra-Protestant, yeah. and ultra-Catholic. Arminians are right on that they're little. On, they're on the threshold. Yeah, aren't they? yeah. <laughs> the, you, you, it, yeah. it walks like a duck. It yeah. quacks like a duck. You know, <laughs> is he a Catholic? Is he a Protestant? It's very difficult to tell. Yeah. And and you know, this reflects on Charles though really badly. Yeah. So he's got this Catholic wife. He's got this high church archbishop in Lord, and so people start thinking he's a Catholic as yeah. well. He wants to make England Catholic again, and we, yeah. we now know on his deathbed he converts to Catholicism. Yeah. But those rumours are with him the whole time. Yeah. And it, you can't escape the the feeling that he's attempting to turn England slightly Protestant because of what Lord's doing. Yeah. And because he appointed Lord personally, he will not accept he's made a mistake. No. He simply will not say, no, it wasn't, you know, or, or stop it, William, stop it. He, he just backs him. Yeah. No matter what happens. And, and, and on top of the reforms as well, these high church reforms, you've also got this prayer book, haven't you? Yeah. So he's got this new prayer book, and the Scots in particular are very unhappy about having the prayer book imposed right. on them. Well, just before we get on to Scotland, yeah. let's talk about the opposition to Lord then. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, because if we've got if we've got this continuum and you at, at one end of Protestantism you've got these almost quasi Catholic Arminians, at the other end you've got the Puritans yeah. who are Ultra, ultra Protestant. Yes. And one of the interesting things about this is because Elizabeth was very Protestant and was very keen on um, protecting the kingdom, and because Henry, certainly after the Pilgrimage of Grace, is very keen on Protestantism, in order to prosper in the kingdom, you had to be very Protestant. Yeah. So what's actually meant, what that actually has caused is that all of the powerful families are the Protestant families. And the more Protestant you were, the more performatively Protestant you yeah. were, the more you were preferred and the more power you were given. So Parliament is now actually stuffed of very Protestant people and the Puritans, the most Protestant of all, are a big, powerful block. Yeah. And the most vocal of mm -hmm. all of the critics 
of Charles, both yeah. personally and politically in the way that he's running the country. Yeah. And this is picked up again in Scotland because up here you've got an entirely different issue, which is the fact that it's Presbyterian. Yeah. Where they have no church organisation as it is. The preaching is done by various elders of the Kirk. There's no particular priest, as it were. And then you get William Lord rock up with his, again, very Catholic-looking prayer book with its reliance on catechism where you've got to repeat, call and repeat with the priest and the priest stands up faces away from the congregation and he might as well be speaking Latin mm -hmm. and this really upsets the Scots and if there's one thing we know from history is that when the Scots are upset they're not quiet about it no in fact it leads to an invasion it certainly of does um, and a very humiliating peace tree yeah I think the post. word to learn here is covenant the agreement and the Scots sign an agreement um, that they're not going to be told how to worship, a covenant, and they're known as covenanters. And this is in 1638. And so, in 1639, Charles sends an army to defeat them, and the English army is defeated by the Scots, because they're howling barbarians, and you never get into a fight with the Scots unless you're Edward I. The... the <laughs> <laughs> and the, the defeat by the Scots is again. This is going to lead into something else. Yeah. Because to fight a war, yeah, you, you need, need money, and, and the only place you can get money is Parliament. Parliament. And you've kicked Parliament out for eleven years, which yeah. is why he has to call Parliament back in April sixteen forty. And this is the short Parliament. Yeah. Three weeks. Yeah. And he calls them back because he wants money to raise a new army to be able to send against the Covenanters. And they are, actually, to be fair, they're quite willing to do this. Yeah, they are willing to give him money. Um, on but Charles condition. needs to make concessions. Yeah. Right, and the concessions are that he doesn't continue to try and pass laws without Parliament's consent. He doesn't raise any more of these illegitimate taxes, unpopular taxes, whatever you want to call it. And he stops Archbishop Lord. Charles's reaction, it, it's a toddler. Isn't it? Yeah, it's it's yeah. a toddler throwing <laughs> his toys yeah, out of the tram. Yeah. He basically just says no and dismisses Parliament, which is not the response of a mature adult, frankly. Do you think now's the time to talk about Ireland and Stratford? Yeah, we may, may as well, because Stratford is an important part of this as well. Because this is just after um, the same sort of period. All right, let me, let me sort of unpick this, because this is a little bit complicated. Thomas Wentworth is the Earl oh, of Stratford, and he's the one who's been sent to Ireland to keep Ireland under control. Remember, Ireland is not part of the kingdom at this point. It's a conquered country. So the problem in Ireland is that you've got the Protestant settlers in the north and the Catholics in the south. The English, obviously, being a Protestant country, are on the side of the Protestant settlers. So there has to be an army there to protect the Protestants. Now, the Earl of Stratford has this strong army over there, and they are loyal to him personally. The fear that Parliament's got is that this army will be called back by the King under the command of Stratford and be used against Parliament. And this is a fear that never goes away. And to be fair, it's relatively justified, because Stratford's one of the ones who, after 1640, is saying to the King, don't bother yeah, with Parliament, you just do it on your own, no matter yes. what. Charles still needs money. So in 1640, he calls another parliament. 
and this is called the Long, Long Parliament. Parliament. Yes. But at the same time, he calls Strafford back from Ireland. The moment Strafford and that army leaves, riots suddenly break out and thousands of Protestants are killed by Catholics. Now, the thing to think about here is, again, it's it's politically stupid on Charles's thought. Because if people think you are a Catholic and then you pull the protection for the Protestants out of Ireland, then, frankly, the people in England are going to think you wanted those Protestant settlers to be butchered. Yeah, so you, yeah, he, he gets the blame yeah. for, the, for the outrages in Ireland. Yeah, and so that feeds into the very beginning of this new Parliament in 1640, which is called the Long Parliament. Now, the Long Parliament has a number of very specific demands that they yep. make in November 1640, don't they? Yeah, so the demands of Parliament. First of all, Charles's ministers and his advisers, Wentworth and Lord, have to be removed. Mm -hmm. They won't budge on that one. Yeah. Secondly, all ministers will be appointed from Parliament to advise Charles. Yeah. So Charles loses the ability to choose the people that are closest to him. And you, you can see their point on that one, yep. definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, this next one, we haven't mentioned this, but um, the king used something called the Star Chamber yes. as a way of enforcing his own rule. Yeah. Um, and the king is told that Star Chamber must be removed. Yeah. Um, Parliament demands to meet more regularly. Yeah. So no more 11 years tyranny. Yeah. Of course, taxes plays a major part in this. So no more taxes without Parliament's approval. And that very famous slogan no taxation without representation starts to be thrown around at this point as well and um the reversal of the lordian reforms of the church there's one other thing yep. of course which is that parliament is quite happy to give him funds to raise a new army but they have a condition on that which is yep. that that army cannot be under the control of the king that army must be under the control of Parliament mm. and Charles's response to that I've actually got the quote okay, here yeah. he said by God not for an hour and so Parliament takes control of the army anyway yeah yeah but just maybe we should point out though that, that Charles wasn't as hard-headed as you know we might think he did agree to quite a few mm -hmm. of the demands of the Long Parliament Strafford was executed Lord was imprisoned um some of Charles's own critics were appointed as his own advisers. The Star Chamber was abolished. Mm -hmm. um, Parliament would be able to meet every three years, and ship money would be made illegal. So the king is he is willing to negotiate at this point. Has it got to the point though where both sides have entrenched themselves? Yeah, they? in yeah. their hatred of each yeah. other. It's not about specific. It's not about specific points anymore. It's about hating the other group and wanting them gone. Yeah, I think it's getting close to that point, isn't it? Because we're at the point now where John Pym gets up with his. Uh, now I always struggle to say this word because I stumble <laughs> over it. So I'm going to try this now, and if I don't, I hope I'm going to get bailed out. Right? Go on. Uh, John Pym stands up and he delivers the grand. Remonstrance. Remonstrance? 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 Rem Remonstra right. Anyway, he remonstrates <laughs> with the king. <laughs> yeah. In a big way. Yeah. It's a huge list of grievances. The demands that um, Charles can't yeah. accept. And it's the it's the straw that broke the camel's back. In the it's basically just... It, the best way to sum it up is it's not even specific demands. It's just a list of the reasons why you suck. Yeah. <laughs> 
isn't it? Yeah. He's basically. standing up in Parliament and just yeah. going, you suck because of this, you suck because of this, you suck... Mm. Be-. And the king cannot stand that no. because it is an absolute offence against his dignity. Yeah. And so it's at this point where he makes a really fateful decision. Yeah. He decides that the five ringleaders need to be removed. Mm. And he takes soldiers yeah. into Parliament and he demands their arrest. And he's broken some... You know, serious conventions yeah. by doing this. It's he's he's fulfilled all the worst suspicions that Parliament had of him. That he wants to get rid of them, that mm-hmm. he wants to kill them, that he wants to use the army against them. He's just proven all of those to be true by marching his troops in there. And of course and they weren't there. They'd done a run out. The bird, the birds had flown. Yeah. <laughs> they've they've disappeared. Um but the thing is that word of this spreads and everyone in the country now knows that Charles is willing to use force of arms against the people who disagree with him. And in August 1642, Charles raises his standard in Nottingham. And he, he calls all his supporters to flock to him. And Parliament raised their standard in London. And that's the whole ball game. Civil war has begun. So what do you think is the biggest single cause? Do you think it is money, politics or religion? Well, I think it's probably, at the heart of it, it's politics. It's a desire for by both sides to be the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Things like money, that's what they argue over. Yeah. But at the heart of it, it is who should be in charge. Yeah. The money is a symbol of the power. And likewise, I think, with the religion as yeah. well. Yeah. Who are you to tell us how we should worship? It's very much about liberty and control, I think. Yeah, and I'd agree. But of course, it's up to the students as well yeah. to make their you, own minds up about you can, that. You can go whichever way you want. Here's another interesting question. Who's to blame for it spiralling into a war? Mm. Is it parliament is it the king or is it both um, i would say at the start it's more the king mm-hmm. being foolhardy and unwilling to really recognize what he was doing wrong mm-hmm. i think there's a point where they've both become so antagonistic towards each other because parliament start making demands of the king yeah and the king at first he won't accept them then he realises that he has to accept them with the long parliament and he start. I mean, you know, giving Strafford over and Lord yeah. over. These they're, are they're big concessions. Massive concessions. Yeah. But then parliament, I think they saw a chink, a weakness, a little crack that they could exploit. And they, towards the end, I, I feel that parliament, there was, a, there was an element in parliament that wanted a conflict. Mm-hmm. And they were pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And for a king like Charles, who believes in the divine right of kings, and, and this isn't—it's yeah. fair to say this isn't a choice. This is this is him. him. This is yeah. the core of it. Yeah, it's part he, of him. He genuinely believes he's been yeah. put here by God to yeah. rule this country, and so do his supporters as mm. well. So, I mean, they are both to blame. The king's an idiot. Yeah, that's the bottom line. The yeah, king—the yeah. king was was yeah. a fool when it came to ruling his country. Parliament really should have been the rightful rulers 
you know, if you look at it, especially from a modern perspective, but they did go too far. They pushed it too far. Yeah. But it was only a small... It wasn't even the whole of Parliament that did it. No. You know, you have to remember no. that as well. And we're going to pick that up when we get to Pride's Purge and everything yeah. later on. It becomes very obvious yeah. that it's a divided Parliament. All right. Last question then, just to finish off. Yeah, go on. Okay. Before just we summarise, it's August 1642, that long, hot summer of 1642. The King's standard has been raised in Nottingham. Parliament's standard has been raised in London. Whither do you ride, my friend? I'd Which like, way? I would like to say that I would have felt like a parliamentarian. But I think, <laughs> deep down, if I was honest with myself, <laughs> if I was alive in the 1600s, I probably still would have fought for the King. Yeah, It's funny because today I'm absolutely not. Yeah. But if I put myself in the shoes of the time, I probably would have been with the oh, majority. Now you see, you've 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 made you've made it more difficult for me putting it in those terms. Because <laughs> if I think about me today, definitely I'd be there for Parliament. Yeah. But, but, no. You know what? No, I'm going to stick with it. I'd be in You're London. Gonna, I'd yeah. be there. I I want him gone. Yeah. I. <laughs> well, it would have been a wrench because p- yeah. families were divided. Yeah. Fathers against sons. Brothers. And this against is exactly brothers. what would have happened. Yeah. You, you'd have good friends on either side yeah. of it. And people arguing. swap sides as well. Yeah, yeah, they're moving side to side. Yeah. Frequently, I mean, you yeah. see that with Scarborough Castle. Yeah. How many times does that change hands because the person in charge running yeah. different flags up and down? It's an awful situation for the people of it England. Is. Because the, uh, for most of the, the normal people, I guess they would have just fought for whoever their lord told them to fight for. Yeah. But I think there would have been an awful lot of people who have been very uncomfortable about the idea of fighting against their king. There's a lot of letters and diaries from the time which show a huge amount of soul-searching going on, of people agonising over which side they're going to fight for. So, uh, summary then. What are the key things to remember about the causes of this? There's arguments over who's running the country. Yep, so politics. Uh, The king basically trying to run too much. Yep. following this idea of the divine right of kings uh, religion the protestant and catholic yep. thing the rise of the puritans yeah exacerbated by the yep. laudian reforms of the church yep and then there's money money yeah that constant need of the king for cash and they, uh, they all link and you know yeah. they do all link yeah one leads into the other and yeah. if you pick the the causes apart you know Sometimes they fall into more than one category as well. When I'm putting this together, most things that I do when I'm planning stuff in history, I do it as charts for comparisons. Mm. This one I have to do as a Venn diagram with three circles intersecting because they do all lead into each other and trigger each other and cascade. That's the best way of doing it. And this is one of those situations, I think, where you can actually see it getting out of control. Mm. It's accelerating and people are being swept along yeah. in it, and they're not quite. Yeah. And before they know it, standards are up and they're at war. And that's that's emphasised again when we get to later on and we realise that Parliament don't actually know what they're fighting for. But we'll get to that in the next episode. Can I finish with a quote? Absolutely. You royalist scum. This is by the historian James Oliphant, and he says the following about Charles. Charles I was a handsome man with cultivated tastes, but he was unfit for the position of king. He was too stupid, cold-hearted to understand or sympathise with the feelings of the people, and events were to prove that he was hopelessly obstinate, self-centred and untrustworthy. And as a parliamentarian, (laughs) I find that a perfectly 
convincing source. Damn, I've swapped sides. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Good luck in your exams. Look at your young men fighting. Look at your women crying. Look at your young men dying. The way they've always done before. We're leading